Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. I have with me today Walt Rakowicz, who is the former CEO of Prologis, and he's also author of a new book called Transfluence, and we want to speak to him about uh, that. He is also on the board of a number of corporations, and he is a public speaker, but he had a long uh, career, uh, 18-year career at Prologis, um, and when I first met him, he was the chief financial officer there, but he eventually became president and chief operating officer, and then he became chief executive officer. And he did it at a time, um, you know, think about being CEO from 2008 on. So he became CEO right at the beginning of the Great Recession, which was a very challenging time. So, uh, Walt, thank you so much for uh, taking time to visit with me. Matt, great to be here. So, Walt, I, I wanted, I'd like to start talking about your time at Prologis because Prologis is a, an amazing company. They're clearly the leader in their area for uh, logistics. And yet you became CEO at a time when it was really challenging, especially given, you know, Prologis's heavy involvement in real estate in general. But, but you'd been there for quite a few years already, so you knew the company quite well. But I'd like to hear a little bit more of your background and time at Prologis. So you're right. I had been with the company for uh, leading up to 2008, the crisis. I had been with the company for about close to 15 years. And um, I had a bunch of roles there. I was in an operating position uh, originally, um, which in real estate means that you're buying land and you're building buildings and you're acquiring assets and and uh, you're building your people base and things like that. And then um, I was promoted to be the chief financial officer, which is when I met you uh, the first time. And um, I did that for about six years. And then I was uh, promoted to be the president and chief operating officer. And during that time, when I first joined the company, I think we had $50 million in assets. And by the time I had become president chief operating officer, we had 40 to $50 billion in assets. And, you know, we went from a small company to a global company and operating in 20 some odd countries throughout the world in Europe, Asia, the US, et cetera. But a funny thing started to happen when I was promoted to the president of the company, we also uh, had a new CEO. And for the first couple of years, which is now probably 2005, 2006, first couple of years of he and I interacting together, because I was the number two person at that point in time, you know, things were going pretty well. But, you know, when we get into 2006, seven, I began to struggle with leadership in the company. Frankly, I think the culture was changing. You know, we had a CEO who, who was probably one of the most brilliant people that I ever knew in my life in terms of, you know, intellectual knowledge of the business and the like, but he believed that he was always right. And, you know, he paid little attention to what people had to say. When an executive becomes more about themselves than they do 
the people around them, when they begin to think that they know more than everybody else does around them, when they listen less, they make a lot of mistakes. And I could see those mistakes and I could see the management team operating in silos, um, not respecting the things that that we were doing. And, and frankly, when that happens, there's just a complete breakdown in trust in the organization. So now I'm in the position for almost four years, president, chief operating officer. This is late 2007. And I, I decided that I had had enough of it. And I went to the board and I said, look, uh, guys, I just want you to know that I can't really operate in this company anymore. I, I really think that the leader is, is taking us over the cliff. I don't know when that cliff will will happen, uh, but I, I don't want to be a part of it. And, um, and, and frankly, not only were we making bad acquisitions, we were leveraging the company too much. The board could kind of see it, but not completely. And it was really interesting from the outside looking in, our stock price had hit an all-time high at the end of 2007. And uh, the board looked at me and they said, well, you know, well, we know that there's issues, but come on. I mean, they can't get any better than this, right? And and I said, I understand, and that's why it's a good time for me to leave. So I took off, left the company. In January of 2008, I resigned. And 2008 was a horrible year for the whole market. So the S&P 500 was down about 38% that year. The, prior to us knowing that, in the beginning of the year, Prologis' stock you know, starts floating down, and by March, it's in the 60s. And um, by April, it's in the 50s, and by the you know by June come times $35 a share or so, and by August it's in the 20s, and you know September October it starts hitting $10 a share and $7 a share, and by the end of October it's at $5 a share, and going south. And at that point in time, we were the third worst performing stock in the S&P 500 behind AIG, who later was taken over by the federal government and GGP, who later went bankrupt. And the board called me up and they said, uh, Walt, we have a problem. We need to part with the CEO and we'd like you to come back and turn around the company. And the day that I was asked to be the CEO, you know, the Wall Street Journal ran a front page article about the company, how this $25 billion company was now trading at less than $500 million at option value, and it was likely to go bankrupt. And it was scary time. I asked them, how long do I have to make this decision? They said, 24 hours. <laughs> and I remember looking at my wife that night and I said, you know, Sue, I don't think I want to do this. I mean, this is scary, right? She said, no, I think you, you need to. I, I thought about all the people that I had hired and, and the 15 years that I was there prior to that. And I decided to, I knew it would take a real Herculean effort to turn around the company, but I decided the right thing to do was to go back. And I, and I learned, ultimately wrote this book that's called Trans, uh, Transfluence, which is how you make a transformative influence in the lives of other people. And that's, to me, what leadership was all about. And so I learned a lot during that period of time. But I'll tell you, the first couple months were tough. <laughs> I should say the first year or two was really tough. I'd like to get back to something you said earlier. You know, there's a big problem when leaders either have fear or yeah. hubris. Yes, they're, they're different. Yes, but they any are. leader, right, when you go through time, you have periods where you are getting too proud and you have periods where you're getting too fearful. I think there's a few leaders that never get fearful, but at least it doesn't seem to be. But so, would you mind elaborating on what you're yeah, thinking there? I'd be, I'd be happy to. We, I spend um, two full chapters in my book talking about it. I, 
uh, let's first let's start with pride. I think authentic pride is actually a good thing. In other words, you know, taking pride in our work, taking pride in our children. I'm proud of my relationship with my wife. You know, those sorts of things. The problem is when you get into hubristic pride. You know, and when I'm talking about hubristic pride, I'm talking about vanity, egotism, you know, arrogance narcissism, like my former CEO didn't really want to listen to many people, you know, and um, you look at the problems at FIFA, you look at the problems at Volkswagen, you look at the problems at GM, you look at the problems at Prologis leading up to 2008, and they were all caused by arrogance, leadership arrogance, thinking that they understood the customer better than they did or, or hiding things that would never be found. And so I think pride is probably the number one killer, but close behind pride is fear. And also, just like pride, I think some fears can be good. Um, I like to talk a lot about um, Taylor Swift, who said, you know, before every concert, the good news is that I'm so fearful that it forces me into excellence. And I could see fear doing that, which is a good thing, but most fears are bad. And the reason why pride and fears are so bad is because they're about the leader themselves. They're not about the people that you lead. And you Interesting. see, if you wanna build trust in an organization, you've gotta be about the people that you lead. Great leadership actually starts with the simple premise that it's not about you. It is about making a transformational influence in the lives of those people that you lead. I, I think that's so true. Even for people that aren't, CEOs, no matter what you're doing, hubris and fear will hurt you. It's almost a little counterintuitive at first because you would think, well, if you want to be a great leader, you need to pour into yourself. Yeah. But by pouring into others, helping them to improve, um, one, you get a better team around you. Yes. You wind up having people around you who don't want to leave either. You know, when you've got a good boss who's pouring into you and making you better, more money doesn't look attractive at that point. I mean, we've, we've all had bosses that don't do that. When you finally get one that does, you want to hold on. Absolutely. Helps your retention without question. The book Transfluence means transformative influence. And I think as a leader, you've got a lot of objectives. I think as a leader, in some, some respects, if you think about it this way, leadership, um, a lot of times leader, leaders focus on the destination, the result. It's my job to, in 2008, it was my job to, quote unquote, turn around the company. And don't get me wrong, we have to, as leaders, be focused on the destination. But I think more important is to focus on the journey. And it's interesting, too, how... The concept you have, fear and hubris are, are really dangerous for a leader. And then the key to leadership is pouring into others, making them them better. Um, there was a conference at Stanford, and I don't remember where I read this, um, but they had CEOs of many of the Fortune 100 companies there. And they had them vote on a number of things, but one of them was which characteristics are most important for success and leadership. And the one that got ranked number one was um, self-awareness. Mm -hmm. But I think 
I think fear and hubris will detract from your ability to be self-aware. Yes. If you're focused on others, it gives you the freedom to be self-aware. Yes, and I will also say that you mentioned self-awareness and you did mention this notion of not necessarily pouring into yourself, but I do think that there's an element of pouring into yourself that can help, um, help this self-awareness. And that is that I'm actually a very big believer in coaching, in asking other people, how am I doing? And creating that self-awareness in that regard, perhaps you're pouring into yourself, but what you're really doing is exactly what you said. And that is enhancing your self-awareness. Let me tell you about a quick story that happened to me during the downturn. It took a little while before the management team gelled and it was dysfunctional at first. And so I, I actually hired a coach and I had the coach coach the entire management team. You know, the, the coach did full 360 degree evaluations of us and, you know, uh, asked everybody around us how we were doing, et cetera, et cetera. And my coach sat down and met with me the first time. And he said, well, Walt, you know, I want you to know that you're, you know, people like working for you. That's great. He said, but I, I will tell you, there's a little bit of downside here that you need to deal with. And I said, what's that? He said, your empathy scores could be better. I said, what? My empathy scores? Are you kidding me? Come on. I, I at least like to think that I'm I'm a, I am a CEO with empathy. And he said, well, here's the problem, Walt. He said, all of your direct reports, not all of them, but some of them say that you're not that approachable. Not that you're not approachable once they get in front of you, but you running around like a chicken with your head cut off. You are flying all over the world. You're this and that. You're hard to get a hold of, so forth and so on. You know, you need to spend more time with your people. We all think that we're somebody a little bit different than we really are. And um, I, I started working with him on how I could become a more empathetic manager. It wasn't empathy from the perspective of not caring. It was empathy from the perspective of not giving people enough time. Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. And I really had to work on that. I, every time I was in the office, I had to work on that. I, was, I became self-aware of that. And so I do think self-awareness is critically important. I think coaching and having somebody independent from an outsider's point of view tell you what you can do better, even though it's hard, is very, very important. And it actually helps you deal with the pride and the fear that you might be experiencing in your life. I really have, I have two formal mentors right now. One is the CEO of a Fortune 100 company. One is... Um, a former dean of a business school, and it is so valuable. And I have informal mentors too, but but I also mentor people, and I've been doing this for a long time. It's so helpful to to have people that can speak into your life and feel comfortable sharing even things that are difficult with you. We're in a tough time right now, and um, we have a lot of leaders that listen to this podcast especially entrepreneurial type leaders that are leading small companies or growth companies. And what could you share with them based on your, what you learned through the crisis you led through? What, I mean, some of them are really in difficult times now. So I, um, I sought out as much advice as I could get. 
And one of the people that I ended up seeking out was a, a gentleman by the name of John Mack, who was the CEO of Morgan Stanley. John spent some time with me. Um, and keep in mind, in 2008, Morgan Stanley, according to the marketplace, was also going bankrupt. And, and they're around today. But John Mack was a revered leader. And I, I always admired him and so did his people. And I said, John, how are you managing your people? You know, one day, and he goes, well, you know, I manage the, my people on the basis of the three H's. And I said, what in the heck is that? And he said, they're all words, characteristics of leaders that I appreciate. They all start with an H. The first is humility, kind of how you see yourself. And um, the second is honesty. And he said, the third in this day and age is every banker needs to have a sense of humor. And I thought a lot about those three words. And quite frankly, I, I struggled a little bit with the third one because I didn't really ever view myself as a funny person. But I think what John was really saying is the word human. Um, not, in other words, if you're humorous, why are you humorous? You're doing it be, because you're trying to build relatability in, in your organization. It's being a human being. And I truly believe that the best leaders, if you want to create trust in your organization, part of it is how you see yourself. And that is being humble. Second is being brutally honest. By the way, it's easy to be honest to people about the things you want to tell them. It is not so easy to be honest about things that you don't want to tell them as a leader. But this whole notion of being human, I think, is really, really important. And I want to bring that to practical COVID thoughts today because I sit on three boards of directors. And I think this is one of the most difficult tests for managers Unlike the financial crisis, where it was mostly financially driven and people were worried about their net worth and all that stuff, don't get me wrong, but paying the bills, there's a social aspect to this one. You know, people are worried about their kids. Are they going to get sick? They're worried about their parents. They're worried about doing work out of their house, melding together with their husband or their wife and they're doing work. Well, I don't see any one solution, but I would say this. I think, number one, you've got to manage with a heart. Leaders today need to ask and listen before they act. I don't think they should expect people to come to them. I think they should be reaching out to people and talking to them about what is going on in their lives personally. I think empathy and flexibility really matter today in leadership. The second thing is I think recognition is really, really important. I mean, there's a lot going on. You think about being on these Zoom calls, you know, dogs barking, babies crying in the background, you know, early Zoom calls in the morning, <laughs> working late at night. And you got to not just be empathetic. You got to really, I think you got to recognize people. You can't micromanage them. You got to trust them and recognize the things that they're doing and recognize the fact that they're going through some really difficult personal times because work and play are melding together like they never they never have in the past. And I also think communication is critically important. I, I really, really do. I think you got to communicate over and over and over. The one thing I found out, and this, by the way, was the same thing in the financial crisis. I would say something to my employees and about 50% of them would get it the first time. Maybe 75% would get it the next time and maybe 100% the third time. And then I would say one last thing, a couple of boards that I'm on, are recognizing the fact that they as managers don't understand all of the social issues that people are going through. And to the extent that you can afford counseling uh, for certain of your employees and you recognize that there's a need, you should step up and do it. 
So, Walt, um, you've had an extremely successful career. Usually, people who are as successful as you are, they have some really good habits, usually. But uh, so I'm, I'm talking about really a, a personal side here. Uh, could cover well-being. It could it could be about eating, sleeping, exercise. You know, spiritual. It could be about relationship. But for young people longing to really make a positive difference, you know, a lot of the people that young people, especially that listen to this podcast, well, they they're not your average person. They're motivated. We actually have had students switch from other universities to our business school because they were following this podcast. Mm. So knowing that that audience is out there, what advice do you have for them? Wow. I think, um, I guess there's a couple things. Personal advice, I'm, and I'm not going to, you know, I, I know that your listeners, some of them are probably spiritual people and some of them aren't, but I can tell you just from my perspective, because you asked, I get up really early in the morning. When I was CEO, I got up at typically 4.30, sometimes four o'clock. And um, I would spend probably an hour, believe it or not, in prayer. So for some of your listeners, let's just call it reflection. Um, others of your listeners who are maybe more spiritually inclined, I'd call it prayer. But I believe that um, before you begin to answer emails in the morning and um, get wrapped up in this world, uh, that really reflection is really important. And, and even if that's just staying silent um, and, and listening, because it's amazing how many ideas came to me during that time about running the company and, and what I needed to do. And oftentimes, and there were times I was running a public company, but there were times when my employees would ask me, you know, how are you managing through it? And I always say, well, as long as I can talk to a higher being, I mean, he tells me how, how to get through it. And, you know, for me, that was important. But I, even if you're not spiritually inclined, I think getting up, spending that time in reflection, we all need it. And trust me, you would be amazed at how many things come to you. Did okay. you journal as a part of that? I did. I did journal. Yeah, I journaled, but I journaled mostly about my business experiences. Um, I didn't journal as much about my personal experiences and personal challenges. I wish in retrospect, I would have done that. But I have a whole, I've got pages and pages of stuff that remind me of the deals that I did and, and, the, and, the, and, and you know, the transactional things that I did. I would just say this, there's another thing that hit me, and that is that adversity is actually your greatest opportunity in life. In going through it, the one thing I learned is that attitude really matters and that you should embrace the leadership opportunities that you have. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm part of a group called the CEO Forum. And CEO Forum, there's about 300 or so CEOs or former CEOs throughout the United States. We get together. And yesterday, our speaker was Ed Bastian, who is the CEO of Delta Airlines. The, the last question asked of him was by the moderator was, okay, Ed, is there anything else you want to say? And he said, yeah, this is a blessing, not a burden. And he said, it's an amazing time, an amazing chapter in my life. By the way, keep in mind, Delta's revenues had gone down 95%, okay? And now they're, and they're still down 75% or so. And then he ended by saying, this is an honor and this is a privilege to be managing during a time like this. If you come with an attitude of gratitude and you, and you look at it as a positive experience and a privilege, 
uh, to be managing people, you'll do an amazing job at whatever you're doing. You come to work every day and it's about you and you're worried about things and you're you know, concerned and you're not focused on your people, bad things will ultimately happen. And so I, I would just say the other bit of advice I have is that, and especially in this COVID world, which is a tough world, but it is our greatest opportunity. It really is. And think of it that way when you're leading people. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C podcast, and now Be Epic. Be Epic.